Sinners, it's Monday morning. Welcome back to the world of movies. This is the Sin Every Day podcast. I am your host, Bryce Reed. And if you're new to the show, I'm watching 366 movies in the year 2024. And this show is my personal log, my, my captain's log on the way to achieving that goal every single week. I come on here, I talk about all the movies I watched, I talk about our progress towards 366, and we do a couple of fun things at the end as well. If if you're not new to the show, I want to thank you so much for listening to last week's episode, for sharing last week's episode, for watching the uh, the Wheel of Tubi movies uh, with us uh, for everything that you've uh, done, all the great feedback that I got. Uh, thank you so much. Things are happening. Changes are going to be made around here. Uh, we're going to get to a place where I think we've discovered something really cool, uh, really wonderful. In the meantime, we're going to talk about movies, which is what we do on this show. Uh, I actually went and watched some new movies in some theaters this week. We're going to talk about it near the end. Of course, I had to do it over the weekend. And I made a ton of progress towards 366, which I'm so excited uh, to talk about. I'm supposed to kick off the show with some sort of a call to action stuff, probably. But I don't really have a lot of that right now. Really, just thank you for listening to the show as I talking to this microphone all by myself every week about uh, all these <laughs> wild and uh, crazy movies that I got involved in uh, during the week. I found I'm, I'm really, I was trying to bank days all week by doubling up, which I thought would be grueling, but it turns out it really wasn't that bad to do around work to, to do a couple of movies a night. It was something, you know, it, it wasn't something that happened naturally. I had to push to make it happen. But I didn't really find it that grueling. And the only times that I found it tough was specifically if I watched a movie that ended up being a one star. It was usually really pretty difficult for me to get something else on after that. It was just exhausting to watch a movie that sucked. Uh, but if I watched a movie that was pretty good, I found that it was really pretty easy to throw another one on before the end of the night. Uh, which... Uh, I guess it'll be interesting to see if that's how the behavior holds or if things sort of change over the year. I don't know. I'm just speculating to myself, shouting into the void, which is what this show is all about. It's a personal diary of uh, my journey to 366 movies that I have not seen already. That's uh, an important uh, distinction to make here on the show. I want to get into talking about the movies as soon as I can. Thankfully, I don't have to do a lot of uh, sort of back and forth uh, updating on on anything else on this show. I can just kind of get right to the meat of it, which I love. Uh, and we can start talking about some movies. I watched 11 movies. No, I watched 12 movies. Over the period, over the uh, the last seven days. So I did. I put some good work in. I think in getting us there, there's a lot more sticky notes on my wall. Uh, every time I watch a movie, I log it through letterbox. The, uh, my letterbox account is, uh, 
in the description. Come and be friends with me on Letterboxd. If you're not on Letterboxd, it's a wonderful service where you track uh, movies that you've watched and uh, you can see if you become friends with people, you can see the movies they're watching. So you can see what I'm watching in real time on my uh, my journey to this goal. Instagram's the same way. All the stuff from uh, from Letterboxd gets posted to, post to Instagram, but Letterboxd is the source. And if you don't have a Letterboxd account and you love movies, get over there. It's awesome. Uh, you're going to love uh, tracking your movies on there, seeing what other people are watching. It's a great way to get involved with things. I know everyone's saying, oh, watch Saltburn. Saltburn's on my list. Uh, but I haven't, uh, I, ha I didn't get to it this week. I watched a bunch of other shit, which uh, honestly, some of it, I probably should have watched Saltburn, to be real. Uh, but, <laughs> but we're going to get into the movies. Um, Monday night, I was excited. I sat down. I went straight for Tubi. I think that's where I watched this movie. I watched uh, so many movies this week that some of the details of where specifically I watched certain things are fuzzy, but I'm almost certain that I watched this first movie on Monday on Tubi at around six o'clock. And that movie is a movie from 2014 called Zombievers. Uh, which is exactly what you might suspect it would be. Pretty classic setup of a bunch of college co-eds in with a, you know sort of mixed up relationships. Go out into a cabin in the woods during the summer for a fun uh, uh, getaway and are attacked by a uh, a swarm of mutant uh, zombie beavers. And of course, there you know there's uh, they're uh, young uh, coeds, a lot of them female. So the many, many horrible beaver puns. Horrible puns, kind of going to be a, a a theme this week. But th this one, horrible beaver puns throughout the movie. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by the film. I thought the film was actually pretty funny. I was expecting it to be really bad, and it was really bad. But it. it people making the film knew what they were doing and they were having a lot of fun and the beavers looked so ridiculous and the plot was really funny. And I found a lot of the humor actually hit for me, which isn't normal. Um, and yeah, I thought it was, I, I was expecting this to be a one star, two star at best. It's at least a three star for me. Um, there's a couple of funny scenes uh, that kind of bookend the film, uh, with Bill Burr and John Mayer playing like toxic waste delivery guys, which was really funny to see. I mean, 2014 Bill Burr and John Mayer, um, who of course, uh, John Mayer at the time was probably about as big of a star as he is now. Bill Burr, of course, uh, having become a, a much bigger star than I assume that this was, uh, a favor for a friend making this movie. Um, but you know, I thought it was good. A lot of, you know, surprisingly good performances, uh, from the actors and actresses involved, uh, you know, frontal nudity, uh, uh, college shenanigans. What more do you want from a slasher film? Uh, but instead of, uh, a giant madman with a machete or whatever, it's uh, a bunch of zombie, beavers uh 
But thankfully, they did what you want a movie like this to do, which is the fact that they're beavers and what beavers do plays into the plot, right? Somebody gets a tree dropped on them. You know, they're they're (laughs) building uh, uh, dams across roads and stuff so people can't get out. It's uh, it's all very uh, tongue in cheek and hilarious. I really liked this movie and I thought it was a good start off to the week uh, because it was... (laughs) I mean, it was a bad film, but it was, uh, you know, uh, a lot of fun. And I think I, yeah, I, I'm looking back still comfortable with the three stars that I gave it because it was better, much better than I expected it to be and a lot more fun than I expected it to be. And I followed it up. I, I believe I stayed on Tubi uh, that night for Bullet to the Head from 2012. Bullet to the Head stars a, a yoked older Sylvester Stallone in like a, a kind of a Steven Seagal thing. Um, I'm going to be honest with you about bullet to the head. There aren't a lot of details. I recall from this movie. I, re- I remember the fights being pretty good. Uh, really pretty strong. As far as the details, he's some kind of hitman that gets pulled into some sort of, yeah, it's very the, the movie from a storytelling from a plot perspective didn't really have anything to say or do for the entire time other than, you know, let's have some cool fights with Sylvester Stallone, which is fine. Um, it's enough to get two stars for me. It's OK, uh, because I didn't think the movie was actively bad. I wasn't bored to tears during the thing, but I also left the movie feeling like it didn't really ever get around to saying anything important or uh, even really being spectacularly entertaining in any way. It was just fine. Um, so two stars for bullet to the head, 2012. I think I watched it on Tubi. It was a Tubi heavy uh, first part of the week uh, because man, it's just so easy to find some good trash on there. And I wanted to watch some trash movies at the, at the top of the week. Speaking of, uh, Tuesday night, I sat down and I was like, I'm going to knock our Wheel of Tubi movie for the week out of the way, which was Tale of Tales from 2015. We spun it on the wheel last week. And now this week, I have watched Tale of Tales from 2015. Tale of Tales, I found to be so exhausting. And it's really pretty rare. You know, after I log a movie on Letterboxd, I'll go on to Letterboxd and see what the average is for the movie, where other people are in this movie. I was shocked to find that people really kind of like this movie. I, this is like a one star movie for me. I thought this was a bad movie. Uh, it was kind of pretty to look at at times, although a lot, I, I don't know, a lot of the, a lot of the choices they made in costuming and makeup and stuff like that were really pretty uh grotesque to look at uh but man that it's an anthology film it has sort of three different sort of medieval stories that are going on um and it's intercutting between them like sort of scene by scene which would make you think that at some point the stories are going to converge or at some point the stories are going to be related in any way whatsoever but unless I missed some detail, 
they never do or are. They're always, they're separate stories that are just for some reason intercut together to imply that they're connected in some way. It's like the first season of The Witcher on Netflix where they were intercutting between stories to make it seem like it was an ensemble piece show uh, and completely forgetting to mention until like the last episode that the stuff that they're intercutting between happened hundreds of years apart. Uh, even though the whole idea behind intercutting is to indicate that things are happening simultaneously, they weren't, they were just intercutting things that were hundreds of years apart and not at all related to one another so that they could pretend that the source material has, you know, like other characters besides Geralt that logically makes sense for them to be there. And it didn't. So they were just intercutting things uh, really awfully. And I felt the same way about this movie where I was like, why are we intercutting if these things are not, even if they're happening simultaneously, they're not related to one another. Like I would have much rathered a heavy metal style anthology film. I have no problem with an anthology film, but just tell me your three stories in succession and, you know, build them like a set list and and go through them and find the most exciting one. And if, you know, if there's a little bit of connection here or there, but there weren't, weren't any connection between these films. I find, and the only connecting thread that I could find between each one of these stories is that they were all really fucking boring. Oh my God. Just so, whew, just so fucking banal with like so little to say at all. And uh, yeah, I found the movie. It, it uh, and it takes its fucking time too, like going through everything and, it really bothered me that John C. Riley is in the movie for about 10 seconds. Uh, I'm like, maybe that's as much John C. Riley as you could afford, but don't, te- don't tease me. Don't tease me that John C. Riley is going to be in the movie. And John C. Riley's on the fucking, like the graphics for, uh, the, uh, the fucking movie on, on all the services or on Tubi where it's on, which of course he is because that alone will get people to click. Cause they love John C. Riley. And then he's in the movie for like 10 seconds. It's like a completely like not important character. And uh, yeah, the, it really, the it bothered me. And it wasn't just that the film was pretentious. It's that it was pretentious and I, 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 it didn't really have anything for me at all to give. Uh, yeah, rough. One star for Tale of Tales. Really wasn't feeling it. Hoping that the Wheel of Tubi provides us with uh, a, a taste of something a little better this week. Unfortunately, I followed this. I did manage to follow Tale of Tales because I watched Tale of Tales really pretty early in the night. And by the end of the night, which is why this is technically listed on the wrong day, but I started the movie near the end of the night on uh, Tuesday. Just before and I ended it sort of just after midnight. Uh, Cowboy Bebop, the movie from 2001. Now I'd seen the entire series. I watched it during the pandemic and I kind of a lot less hot on the original series. I'm, I'm talking the original anime series, not the, um, Netflix adaptation. Uh, I'm a lot less hot on the original series than other people are. I, I find, um, this sort of lack of any narrative through line for things other than that the characters are there and this sort of like epilogue style of storytelling where it's a lot more kind of like a sitcom 
than it is a a narrative pull through show. Um, really made it kind of a slog for me to get through. It, it felt like a twenty six episode series where like, geez, easily eighteen of those are filler ep- episodes. Um, entirely composed of just filler content, which <clears throat> I have cut flack for. People disagree, but that's how I felt about watching that show. I felt like uh, the creator's other show, Samurai Champloo, probably does, a, or in my opinion, at least does a better job of at least providing an overarching goal for the whole series so that when they, you know, even though not all of the episodes deal with directly progressing towards that goal, you at least know where everything's headed. Whereas Cowboy Bebop kind of uh, invents its big bad in the second to last episode and then you know, sort of has that conclusion or the third to last episode or whatever. And this Cowboy Bebop, the movie takes place kind of like in between two of the, the sort of like last episodes. Um, but I didn't see it at the time when I watched the movie, because for some reason, the complete series uh, Blu-ray that I bought just didn't have it, which is whatever. Um, and at the time, it wasn't on. I I couldn't find a service that it was on. It would have required me buying it separately, and I just didn't at the time because I didn't really like the series that much. But uh, Cowboy Bebop the movie was up on Tubi, so I watched Cowboy Bebop the movie as well. Um, towards the end of the night, I think it's a three star movie. Um, I found the fact that the story is not really related to anything a lot more palatable because it was a movie. And I wasn't expecting it to, um, but I, you know, I, it felt like a longer episode of the show. It didn't feel like a step up from the show for me. It felt like, yeah, that's what an episode of Cowboy Bebop would be if it was given a lot more time. Um, not bad, uh, not great or amazing really. I mean, I guess maybe in the grand scheme of anime movies, it's probably a good one. Um, that are based on series and exist in the continuity of a series. Uh, it's probably a, a fairly decent one, but I, you know, I'm not going to sit back and be like, Oh, you got to watch the movie. Even if you didn't like the series that much, you got to go and watch the movie. It's like, no, it's like, it's more of the show. And uh, if you love that show, of course, watch the movie. I mean, I don't even think I would have to tell you that, but um, it's not something that I recommend to people who haven't seen the show. Um, other than, you know, like it exists within its own kind of continuity. So I, I don't, I would say if you haven't seen any Cowboy Bebop stuff, maybe watch the first episode of the show. And then if you really like that, keep watching until you realize that they're not really going anywhere with it. And then, uh, you know, either finish it or don't. Um, <laughs> but I thought the movie was fine. Three stars. Pretty good. Pretty good movie. Not great, but pretty good. Wednesday was awesome. Wednesday was great. I had the day off on Wednesday uh, due to certain circumstances. So I was at home and I was able to watch through some things finally, which was great and and sort of devote it to, uh, you know, taking long breaks, but like getting a couple of movies done. Um, which was a godsend, uh, because I needed it. And, uh, I thought, so I watched two movies on the day. I watched 
Gorgeous from 1999. Gorgeous is a, a Jackie Chan movie that I bought on Blu-ray a couple of weeks ago from Bull Moose Music. And uh, it's the 88 Films Blu-ray release of this movie. Gorgeous. Gorgeous is kind of a departure for Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan in this movie plays in a uh, like a romantic comedy. Plays like a billionaire playboy who, of course, is also a kung fu master and a play uh, a parkour legend and all of the things that Jackie Chan is inherently by being Jackie Chan. And he gets entangled with this girl uh, from another country after throwing out a uh, a, a message in a bottle. Uh, and. Uh, ends up uh, in this amazing sort of cheesy romantic comedy mixed with Jackie Chan fight scenes and like good Jackie Chan fight scenes too. It's not a wild stunt movie for him as some of his stuff is. Uh, It's instead like a uh, just really just fights intercut with sort of romantic comedy segments and uh, uh, romantic, um, entanglement and intrigue of course it was uh, fun uh to watch cute movie you know uh i think romantic comedy at its best you know um reminds you of the people in your life that are important to you, you know <laughs> and uh and there were a couple of moments where i was like oh that's really sweet and um i liked it a lot I, that's a four-star movie for me that was great I mean, Jackie Chan during this period, especially this is 1999. So this is sort of like late um, into the era of him doing kind of great stuff. Um, but I liked the movie a whole lot and I'm glad that I have it and was able to put it in a collection. And uh, it's an interesting uh, turn for him because there's not a lot of truly romantic comedy sort of leaning stuff in his catalog. And so it was really cool to see him try a different type of movie that's still, you know, every now and then he had to beat somebody up, but, <laughs> um, but the first five star movie for me of the week came on Wednesday night. I think on HBO max is where I watched it. 2017's How to Talk to Girls at Parties, which is not a documentary film, unfortunately. Um, it was uh, uh, based on a Neil Gaiman story. Neil Gaiman, Neil Gaiman? I don't know how you pronounce his last name. But, uh, which shocked me. I didn't know that at first until the end where they talk about it. But the movie... I again, this was another one where I felt really out of step with what was going on on Letterboxd because Letterboxd has this it's really divisive. A lot of people really didn't like this movie, but this movie spoke to me in such a wonderful way. Um, it didn't make me emotional. It didn't get it, this wasn't like an automatic emotional five star, um, but it did make me feel seen in a way that a lot of movies kind of don't. Um, and had a lot of really interesting subtext that I really connected with. Um, 
talked a li- so in the movie uh, uh, a basic rundown of what happens in the movie these uh kids in the 70s in london punk rock kids living in that scene loving that scene um there's three of them they're friends and they decide to gate crash a party one night and they gate crash a party at this fancy mansion or whatever and it's filled with people who are acting weird, but they're like, I mean, it's just a weird sex thing or a cult or whatever. But, you know, whatever. We'll be at the party. We'll hang out. We'll see if there are any chicks or whatever. You know, they're trying to have some experiences, you know. And uh, come to find out, it's um, it was like aliens. It's a party full of uh, space aliens and uh, who have taken on the uh, appearance of humans. And the main character, Boy, who I can't recall the name of the actor, but the actor was also in To the Bone, and I thought did a really good job in that, too. So I'm excited to sort of maybe see him in more stuff throughout the year um, when he pops up. But uh, he did a really good job, and uh, Elle Fanning played uh, the, the female lead in the movie. And... <laughs> basically she enacts or, or, or uh, uh, calls upon some alien ritual that basically gives her like a 48 hour version of like Rumspringa on earth uh, Rumspringa being the uh, tradition where Amish people are allowed to sort of leave the Amish community for one year and live amongst modern society and decide whether or not they want to continue to live their lives as Amish or whether they want to leave everything behind and live in the modern world, basically. Um, and she's kind of given that opportunity to leave and go and experience Earth and uh, come back and make decisions or whatever. Antics ensue from there. Things happen. But I thought it was a really beautiful film that kind of talked about how you know a teenager especially a sort of a punk rock um teenager really but i i I think it's kind of the case of just being teenage um some just feel it harder than others is you really do feel like you don't belong here that's you know those ages where you really feel isolated and alienated and it's not until you find your people which is what happens in this movie that you really begin to realize that oh oh no this is where i belong you know maybe and and um and there was such a magic about that throughout this movie it also you know puts forth that magic of you know, when you're a young boy in uh, in your teenage years or whatever, women seem like aliens. They're like, it's like, they're so incredible in so many ways that you don't really understand. And maybe never will. But uh, the movie just, yeah, really got me in, in places I really wasn't expecting it to get me. Um, it's kind of a beautiful love story on top of that. Um, and it's just weird. It's a fucking weird movie about weird stuff, but it finds ways to sort of talk about and, and talk about in, in more concise, brilliant, beautiful, 
metaphor than I have seen people really talk about that period of life where you really are just, and it takes specifically finding somebody in your life who understands the place that you are even less. So like this boy gets this opportunity to show this alien around his hometown to show her punk rock, this thing that means so much to him and show her the punk rock venues or whatever. And he stops feeling like an outsider because he's, he's able to show somebody around this place where he lives. And all of a sudden he's like, I do belong here by, by making contact with an actual alien. He realizes that he's not that, you know, and I thought that was really, really brilliant. And I, I loved it very much. Very touching. How to Talk to Girls at Parties 2017. It's a five star from me. Uh, again, this is a personal diary of my journey through these movies. And the movie, the ratings for the movies are based entirely on how the movies affected me, how I felt about the movies. Does that mean that How to Talk to Girls at Parties is objectively a five star film? Probably not. But for me, I fucking love that movie. I'll there are so many people I would recommend watching that movie to in my life. People that I know that I think would really connect with it. I think it's brilliant and really underrated. It's a 24. Everybody loves a 24. They make a lot of stuff uh, right now or make a lot of the right moves. Um, but man, I was so happy that I clicked on this one. I clicked on it because the fucking, I thought the title was funny and, uh, and I'm happy that I did. Um, Thursday night, I only watched one movie and I'll tell you why I only watched one movie. It was so, it made me so fucking mad that I didn't want to watch anything else. The rest, I wanted to play some video games or do anything else other than watch more movies because I was like, I can't fucking believe this movie. I watched Porky's from 1981, um, which I have to assume was on Tubi. When I watched, I watched a lot of Tubi this week. I need to break up the services. I need to and watch more disc stuff this week. That'll be my goal. Um, but I watched it on Tubi. This fucking movie. You know, I watched it because it's got. Uh, I remember seeing it on VHS. To, you know, like Dad, when I was a kid, would take us to a movie gallery on the on Fridays, you know, and we'd go and pick out movies. Or I remember seeing Porky's at the movie gallery and people talking about it. And I remember seeing tapes, uh, uh, in trash bins. I remember Porky's too. I was walking home from school one day or walking to a babysitter's house, I think from school one day. And, uh, sm there was a smashed VHS tape on the ground. And I remember looking at it and seeing the title of the movie was Porky's 2. That was so long ago, but it's one of those things that just stuck with me. Porky's 2 the next day, uh, which is what it's called. And so I was like, yeah, uh, Porky's, you know, like I've, I've never watched it. And they were like, oh, original teen sex comedy, the original teen sex comedy. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Give it a shot. Oh, my God. I have never wanted to turn off a movie more. Uh, there is an unironic and really unpunished uh, white person saying the N-word with a hard R within easily 
two minutes of this movie. Um, and then they continue to sort of be friends with that person forever. There's uh, this movie tries its hardest to have sort of an anti-racist or at the very least anti anti-Semitic point to it at some point later in the film. But the, there's so much really bad people being treated as heroes in this movie and like not getting any comeuppance. Everyone in the movie is like a normalized sex criminal, which is really frustrating. And it's all sort of just laughed off as like boys being boys. And I can't help but feel this sort of like toxic societal effect of that. That's And it's, it, it made me feel really gross watching the movie. And, uh, you know, you get to the end of it, and these really the genuinely terrible people are just, uh, you know, like celebrated as heroes. And it's like, what, what kind of fucking bizarre world is this? But it wasn't a bizarre world. It was our world in the 80s. And uh, yeah, I've never felt, I've never seen a movie that I felt aged more poorly than this. I was like, how did people like this? And, and the bigger th- crime, I think, of all of this, despite the fact that it's like awful. And, uh, is that it also wasn't funny, uh, to me at all. Like I didn't feel like any of the humor landed. I felt like a lot of the jokes, uh, that camera sort of hung on them for way too long. And, uh, so by the time you got to the punchline of the joke, you already knew what it was going to be about a minute and a half ago, but we've just been going and going and going and going. And then you get there and you're like, yeah, that's clearly what was going to be said um super weird and annoying uh movie and i did it did not connect with me one star for porkies and i really i couldn't watch anything the rest of the night because i was just like i fucking hated that so much <laughs> which sucks i mean it sucks when that happens but uh it is what it is thankfully i had a wonderful weekend of movies um, because I decided, you know, I, I told people on the show last week, like, I'm not going to go out and necessarily watch the latest movies for the sake of watching the latest movies for the show. I'm it's not easy for me to get to a decent movie theater around here. The, the closest movie theater represents, I like, I have to get on a 45 minute train ride to get to the close, to the nearest, like decent theater. Um, And so I don't go uh, and I'm not going to go that often to the movies, but the movies this weekend had quite a few movies that I was interested in seeing. I didn't even really see all of them, but uh, I was interested in seeing Mean Girls. I was interested in seeing The Beekeeper. I was interested in seeing The Iron Claw. I was interested in seeing small things. I was interested in seeing the book of Clarence. I got no fucking interest whatsoever in seeing Wonka, but it was also in the movie theaters. Uh, and uh, there were a couple of others, but uh, you know, I'm going to talk about the journey because I actually went to a couple of theaters along the way. And, uh, uh, on kind of like a mini tour of theaters around here. I went to the Nickelodeon theater. Um, in Portland 
Friday night to see the Iron Claw. It was the closest showing of the Iron Claw to where I live. And so I had to go uh, to the Nick Theater. I used to live right near the Nick Theater in Portland. And so when I went, uh, it was uh, it was fun. It was like a little blast from the past because I used to go all the time. Uh, but I went to see the Iron Claw. For those that don't know, the Iron Claw is the new Zac Efron fronted. Although uh, Jeremy Allen White is also uh, prominently featured in the movie biopic of the Von Erich wrestling family that's uh, been put out by A24. Uh, and I was familiar enough with the story from just having a, a history with professional wrestling as well as uh, having seen the dark side of the ring episode about the Von Erich family, which I recommend. Um, I think you can watch that show on Tubi. Um, and that particular episode will give you a, a good idea of like, if you saw this movie and you were like, well, what was true and what wasn't, I would say, watch the dark side of the ring episode. Um, I thought the movie was incredible. Um, general overview, the Von Erichs were a wrestling family of, uh, many, uh, boys and a very toxic patriarch uh and they are a a a great deal of tragedy befalls them through a, a really unbelievable level of tragedy befalls the family uh throughout the course of the film and you have to sit there and just watch the train wreck itself on the tracks um and watch as people make the wrong decisions over and over and over again. And it's so, it's so rough. Um, the movie's really heavy, incredibly heavy, incredibly tragic. A lot of people, of course, are, are comparing it to the wrestler. A lot of people who aren't sort of familiar with it. The wrestler is also kind of a tragic story, but the wrestler is like kind of an amalgam of a, a sort of class of wrestler that was around at that time. That sort of aging, wrestler with the kids that don't talk to him and the Marissa Tomei type stripper that's uh uh that they're uh, in love with or whatever like that was all like, sort of uh wrestling you know it was made up you know this is a true this is a real thing that happened this movie and it's awful and it, what's crazy is like they like truncated the story the real story is even worse like the movie is terrible and, and, and in what happens, I mean, not um, the movie itself is, is spectacular. Zac Efron does an amazing job um, and he's yoked. He's honestly kind of too big to be playing the guy that he's playing in the movie. But I, I guess God bless his dedication to uh, lifting weights and shooting shit into his ass. Um, he uh, a fantastic performance from him from an acting perspective. I did cry. Uh, or I came close to crying several times throughout the movie. And I think if you don't, you don't have brothers. <laughs> the movie. Oh, man. Such the, you know, the the first first hour or so they set up, you know, that they, it's these these brothers and they love each other. And the thing that they love the most is just being with their brothers, you know. And then uh, the second half of the movie comes and everything becomes terrible very quickly. Um, and you just sort of watch as the dominoes fall. 
And uh, yeah, it is like a car crash that you can't look away from. And uh, I thought it was spectacularly done. I I wouldn't have done really anything different. And the movie makes a lot of really smart choices in what it doesn't do to like, you know, there's a part of you that really wants someone to just verbally go off on the father in this movie on Fritz von Erich. And, but nobody does because that's not real life. That doesn't, sometimes that doesn't happen, especially, you know, with these boys, they, you know, they still love their dad, even though this is all their fault. And eventually there is, you know, sort of a, uh, comeuppance for him and he, and, uh, there's, you know, but there, there isn't that moment where somebody goes, you know, come on, this is all your fault, you know? And, and all of this is your fault. And, and the weight of that is brought upon him and there isn't, you know, because that's not how it turns out most of the time, you know, like the bad guys don't really get punished like that. But, um, I thought the movie was brilliant. I thought the movie was brilliant. I'm looking forward to owning it. I'm looking forward to watching it again. Um, really, you know, a difficult story to do right. And I thought that they absolutely did. I read it at five stars. I didn't, I don't know that I liked it, (laughs) but I thought it was really, really good. Um, and I, you know, I, I watched it. My buddy Shane came along to watch the movie with me and, uh, which was great. I'm so, I love it when I can go to the movies and, and somebody comes with me. I don't mind going to the movies alone, uh, for what it's worth, but I, I love it when somebody comes with me and I walked to that movie. I didn't know what to say. Like I really, I had nothing. I was like, ah, it was good, but God, it was fucking rough. Zac Efron was yoked. That's what I said first. I was like, he was, wow, man. Eating his Wheaties, that one. Jace, Jace, his muscles had muscles in the movie. It's nuts. Um, but I, I ended up uh, getting a ride out of town. Go to my mom's place. And my mom's place is uh, near the Cinemagic in Saco. The Cinemagic uh, or Apple Cinemas, as it were. It's the only IMAX screen in the state. And even then, it's not a real IMAX screen. It's like a little tiny uh, junior IMAX screen. But... I went anyway because I wanted deep. I had a deep desire to see the beekeeper in IMAX. I needed to see the beekeeper in IMAX. I loved the trailer. I love Jason Statham. I have a, a history of loving Jason Statham. And uh, so I needed to see what the beekeeper was all about, whether it was going to be good. I was expecting it was probably going to be bad, but I saw that they were showing the beekeeper in IMAX at the Cinemagic. And again, my mother's house is not far from there. So I was like, I'll get out there. And then on Saturday, I'll go and see the beekeeper in IMAX. And I had all of Saturday off. I didn't really have anything to do on it. So I was like, I'll go to the movie theater early and watch something else too. Why not? Um, And so I did. And I went and I saw Mean Girls. This is Mean Girls 2024. Not Mean Girls 2004, is it? 20 years ago? Whenever they put out original Mean Girls. I don't like the way that this movie has been marketed. I feel like many people have brought up they don't like the way that this movie has been marketed. The Color Purple's doing the same thing. I think studios are generally gun-shy on musicals right now. They don't draw a lot. There's this hate for musicals that I 
as a musical person do not understand and do not like um where pe- uh people uh, they hear it's a musical they want to stay away they don't like it uh and it you know i think studios after you know, in the Heights, which was tied to the Hamilton thing, which was a big, uh, everybody loved Hamilton. You know, they assumed that in the Heights was going to be a big thing. They still kind of put it out during the pandemic and they didn't see anything for it. Um, you know, it was a simul- simultaneous release with HBO Max as well. And so, yeah, they were really, um, I think they were hurt by the lack of success for that film. They were like, well, if that film can't break through. And then later that year, Steven Spielberg remade West Side Story. And they were like, it's West Side Story. It's m- maybe one of the top 10 most famous musicals ever. And it's fucking Steven Spielberg. Who, you know, doesn't miss that much. And uh, is maybe one of the most, one of the top 10 most famous directors ever. And it's still doesn't do anything at the box office. So maybe just, we just won't put musicals in the theaters anymore. And thankfully that wasn't the decision they made, but instead with this color purple movie and this mean girls movie, they're just not going to tell you it's a musical, which is worse because people are going to go expecting it to be a remake of mean girls. And then it's a musical and they're like, I fucking hate musicals. Why didn't you tell me it was a musical? I don't, think that tricking people into seeing a musical is going to make them like musicals more. Um, I think putting out really good musicals will do that. And The Color Purple and uh, Mean Girls are some of the better musicals that have been made over the year. I do I do think it's funny, um, you know, the whole idea of movie becomes Broadway musical becomes movie again, <laughs> I think is hilarious. I hope they do it with Back to the Future. But, uh, (laughs) um, but I want, you know, I wanted to see Mean Girls. I like the original movie fine. Um, but I certainly wouldn't have seen the purpose of a remake, especially, you know, a remake with Tina Fey writing about, you know, the Zoomer experience of high school. Now, like, I just, I don't think she gets it. And a lot of the stuff that they do to kind of update this is like, feels a little like hello, fellow kids. Uh, in a lot of ways. Um, but thankfully, you know, it's not that bad and it's really hard to write a movie. That's like, that gets that right. Tim Meadows returns. Um, Tina Fey returns. Lindsay Lohan has a cameo. I, it would have been cool to see Rachel McAdams get some sort of cameo in the movie. Um, there's even a pretty prominent role for, the mother of Regina George in the movie. And it would have been nice to have seen Rachel McAdams play the mother of Regina George. I thought it would have, but they didn't end up going with that. They ended up going with somebody else. I think the movie is saved by the songs. Surprisingly enough, I think the songs are really good in the movie. Um, There are a couple of lines throughout And I wasn't familiar with the soundtrack going into the movie. There are several lines throughout the movie that have clearly been sort of sanitized, uh, specifically lines about anything res- uh, uh, referring to social suicide. The term social suicide is kind of scrubbed from the film and instead is like socially dangerous or whatever they end up saying because they don't want to use the word suicide. But, you know, I kind of get. But at the same time, Olivia Rodrigo had like a fucking hit that social suicide was in the hook. 
like this year and nobody gave a shit because everybody knows she's not talking about actual suicide. It's social suicide. It's a, an idiom, you know, like a context thing. So I, I don't know that, it, you know, especially with mean girls where like kind of me, the whole thing about mean girls is that it's a little edgier than you're expecting it to be, you know? Um, I don't know if it was great to put out a musical version of that, which is already going to be accused of being shinier than it needs to be. And then also sort of scrub content from it. Not great. Uh, But that's probably the only dig that I have on the movie. I thought it was directed really well. I thought it was a blast to watch. The lead actress as Katie is, I think, fine. Um, she's certainly overshadowed by the actress that they got to play, um, Regina George. Uh, really overshadowed by all the other actresses. I, I guess I, I maybe would have liked to have seen somebody um, take a bigger bite out of that lead role. Would maybe be the only other dig that I make against the movie. But other than that, you know, I think the directing was amazing. I think, um, you know, the script is still tight. Um, and I think the music really was great from the first song to the last song. I was like, Oh, I, I find this incredibly easy to listen to. And I think a lot of these songs have sort of great hooks and great messages. There's, there's a whole song that people are saying that they don't really connect to the, one of the characters in the movie sings a song about how she loves Halloween because at Halloween, she can be anything she wants to be but like a sexy version of that, you know, it's this idea that like you wouldn't, you you know, if you're a girl of that age, you're not dressing up as like an ugly uh, uh, ghoul or anything. You're it's like, Oh, I I can be anything that I want to be on Halloween, but like a sexy version, you know, it was pretty good. And, uh, (laughs) you know, it had me laughing throughout the film and um, I thought, you know, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I thought it was a good movie. I think people are giving it too much. Too much flack. Uh, I thought it was great. You know, actually, I give it four stars because the only thing that I could really dig at it for was some of the cleansing that went on and some of the performances. But again, I feel like there's so much here that elevates it. And I had a great, a great time with it. It's definitely worth taking somebody to if they like musicals and or like Mean Girls or both, you know, so uh yeah check it out mean girls 2024 uh it's still in theaters i think you're gonna have a great time with it if it if it seems like something that you're into or it's something if if you're familiar with the broadway show or familiar with the movie and enjoy musicals um go and check it out but the beekeeper i gotta talk about the beekeeper and i was really hoping that i would be able to find a way to like make the show times at the cinemagic work and i wouldn't have to like leave for several hours and then come back later i really couldn't find a way to do it and i was trying to like do out the math of like can i stick in the book of clearance uh, or the book of clarence or small things or whatever and do three movies today and it would be rough but like it'd be fun you know at the movie theater having fun at the movie theater all day is there a way that i can do this without having to wait like two hours between a film at some point. And the answer was like, no, not really. Unfortunately, because of the way the showtimes were spaced out, which is unfortunate. 
Um, I don't know if that's a scheduling scheduling error or whatever. There were the Cinemagic has literally like twelve fucking movie theaters in it, so I figured there would be some way to sort of like snake my way through these films, but nothing that I wanted to see really made sense to do that and fit in the Beekeeper IMAX showing. So after Mean Girls, I just left. And I came back for the IMAX showing of the Beekeeper. And my God, what a fucking movie. The Beekeeper rules. Everyone telling you that the Beekeeper is a bad movie doesn't want you to see it so they can have it all to themselves. Mana of God. The Beekeeper is a fantastic film. So funny. I literally chuckling the entire movie like uh, 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 just a child uh, at how incredible this movie is. If you're unfamiliar with this movie, it's a uh, Rambo, John Wick style, uh, badass killer out of retirement revenge movie. Where Jason Statham of Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels fame, of Snatch fame, of The Transporter fame, of Crank fame, of uh, the Fast and the Furious franchise fame, of Expendables franchise fame. Uh, I could go on. The legendary Jason Statham, who I've loved for a very long time, uh, adore Crank as a movie. Like Crank 2 High Voltage as a movie. Uh, enjoy The Transporter. I think this is the best movie Jason Statham has ever made. It is so fucking funny. Uh, so Jason Statham plays a... Uh, he plays a beekeeper. Both literally and also figuratively. Because come to find out through the movie, after a close friend of his is defrauded by scammers and commits suicide. Uh, Jason Statham. There's a, a secret government program called the beekeeper. The beekeeper is a single individual, one bad motherfucker, one Baba Yaga type figure who is selected to quote unquote, protect the hive and be hired as uh, a, a secret government agent to go and uh, license to kill motherfuckers. Um, and the movie, uh, he uh, goes on this revenge crusade with a high body count. Of course, very it's, it's very John Wick, which itself is very Rambo. You know, like I don't, everyone's saying John Wick and everybody who is like, stop saying John Wick, watch more movies. It's like, yeah, but also this movie, there were several beats of this movie that are ripped wholesale from John Wick. It's almost like a parody of John Wick movies, which I love. John Wick, maybe my favorite series of movies ever. I think it's such a wonderfully consistent series in execution. I think each movie in that series is just as good as the last one. And I think it's incredible. Um, and I, you know, I have always wondered, and it's very clear. The intent of this film is Jason Statham, who also produced the film is like, what if I had a Joan wick, you know, that's his, my horrible, uh, Jason Statham impression. Uh, 
And it's so classically perfect for that. I'm like, if you gave a John Wick to Jason Statham, it has to be this stupid because that's kind of what he's good at. Like Jason Statham's best movies are movies like Crank, where Crank is a comedy. It's an action movie. There's action in it, but it's a comedy. It's a comedy movie. It's fucking silly as shit. And and he's along with you for how fucking silly it is. And that's Jason Statham. His best work is like that. Um, he kind of he sucks when it's serious. He can do the serious stuff, but his he's absolutely at his best when he is in a movie that is fucking bizarre and silly. But he's just playing it completely straight with this gruff exterior or whatever. He's hilarious. He's uh, Jason Statham is he's hilarious. And this movie is hilarious. This movie is an outright parody of John Wick movies. Uh, And the entire joke of the film is like high ranking government officials, like talking to the guy that's being hunted by Jason Statham's beekeeper character and the like tech bro or whatever that he's hunting down is being like, yeah, I don't know. The guy said he's a beekeeper. Like, what does that mean? And the high-ranking officials are immediately like, oh, my God. <laughs> you said he's a beekeeper? There's a, point, there's a point in the movie where one of these high-ranking government officials says, if a beekeeper says you're dead, you're already dead. <laughs> so uh, they're absolutely just drinking in the hilarity of this, you know, Beekeeper is an important job, incredibly important job. Bees are incredibly important. That's the other thing that this movie gets across, which I love. Um, it also gets across, you know, there's a, a point where Jason Statham's character says, uh, you can make a choice between upholding the law and upholding justice. Um, and in any other movie, it'd be super hacky. But considering we've just watched this ridiculous movie about a John Wick, who's also a beekeeper, uh, is just everything about this movie sang for me. The action is awesome. The tone is amazing. The, the like played straight joke, but not joke feeling of the whole thing is incredible. And then there are so many moments of just Jason Statham in this role, being a dork and being funny and like, he goes up to this group of guards that are like guarding the front door from him. And they're like, Oh, we're talking about the, the back access, blah, blah, blah. And he like goes up to the group of them and starts like shooting the shit with them. And then eventually they're like, wait, you're the fucking guy. And he's like, Oh yeah. And then he kills them. Then he murders them in front of everybody. It's I, I loved the beekeeper run. Don't walk to the beekeeper. Uh, absolutely see this movie i fucking love i wish i could watch it again right now i am eagerly awaiting the 4k release of the beekeeper so that i can watch it more because i fucking I love this movie so much and uh i'm so happy that i went out of my way to go and see this movie so fucking good oh, boy i didn't think i was gonna get that excited about talking about it but i fucking oh man what a movie go and see the beekeeper Five stars. Easy. I didn't even cry during the movie. Five stars. Genuine five stars for the beekeeper, which rules.
Fantastic Mr. Fox from 2009 was the movie that I watched just today. I thought Fantastic, you know, I'm not like a Wes Anderson uh, connoisseur. I've seen the Darjeeling Limited. I thought it was fine. Although, uh, you know, it's a lot of just, it's a long movie of uh, people just delivering stilted dialogue at one another. And then, I, you know, so I watched Fantastic Mr. Fox and I thought it was fine. I think it's aged pretty poorly. Um, I think I love stop motion animation. It's come a long way in the last um, 10 years, but really the last 20 years. I don't even think that this movie looks like as good as an Ardman Phil film of the time would have looked. I think there's a lot of stuff that where they like didn't get the scale right. And um, it's not a visually captivating movie. It doesn't push the boundaries of what you think can be done with stop motion animation. I assume Wes Anderson stuck very, very um, conservatively to stop motion and didn't do a lot of digital futzing. And, you know, I guess you could say that is like, if that's the case, then then I would give it more credit than, you know, like Pinocchio. It's difficult to watch this movie after having watched Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which is fucking gorgeous, you know, but Pinocchio is, is, uh, you know, they have the maquettes and they have some sets, but they, you know, they weren't not using green screen at some points in that movie. They were, you know, um, but I, and it's hard to watch this sort of like this movie divorced from the context of that. Cause like, I'm sitting here going like at the time was this beautiful stop motion animation, but like I'm watching this, you know, post Kubo, you know, post uh Coraline, you know, which came out at roughly the same time. I feel like, so yeah, I don't, I feel like the animation really fell for me. And beyond that, like the story was fine, but, uh, it didn't really speak to me and George Clooney's performance in it, I think is okay, but he's it's, I don't think he ever disappears into the role. I never felt like it was Mr. Fox talking. I always felt like it was George Clooney. Um, and just distinctly George Clooney at the time, you know? So, uh, that was kind of the real, those were the real sticking points for me. I think it's a three star film. I think it's good. Um, I certainly don't think it's okay or bad. I think it's, it it does what it sets out to do. I just, I don't think that it looks gorgeous. Uh, and, uh, I, I, the performance really didn't do it for me. And the story was like, eh, you know, um, it was good. Uh, uh, fantastic. Mr. Fox, 2009. So that's 12 movies. Or 11? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. It's 11 movies over the last uh, few weeks. Or over the last week. <sighs> I'm out of it. Uh, over the last week for 19 total. And uh, we are here on the 15th day 
Uh, and I'm going to watch another one, you know? So we're uh, feeling good. We're on, we're on track. We're putting some, uh, putting some, some track behind us, which I'm really excited for. Um, and we're progressing towards 366. My hope is that I produce the final episode of this podcast somewhat well before the end of the year. And that I'm not here putting out a podcast on like December 31st <laughs> necessarily, you know, um, when we hit 366, that, uh, that'll be the end of, you know, this portion of the show as we know it. And, uh, maybe we'll figure out something else to do for 2025. Good Lord. Good Lord. Um, but we have a championship here. We got to ask ourselves. The best movie that I saw this week was The Beekeeper. Uh, and, you know, some of these other movies came close. How to Talk to Girls at Parties is a fantastic film. The Iron Claw is a fantastic film that you should go and see uh, as soon as you can. Um, and prepare yourself for an emotional experience. But fuck, The Beekeeper was so good. I loved it so much. and. I have to ask myself, is The Beekeeper a better movie to me and my personal preference than Gangs of New York? I think to most people that would be a preposterous question to to ask. The answer would clearly be Gangs of New York. But this is my podcast. This is about what my favorite movie was. And I love The Beekeeper way more than I like Gangs of New York. Gangs of New York, too damn long for its own good, quite frankly. Whereas the beekeeper, perfect. I wouldn't change a goddamn thing. It's going to be difficult to beat the beekeeper next week, to be honest, because I had such a great time with it. So, man, champ of the show, the the winner and new champion of the 366 title. Goddamn, the beekeeper. What a fantastic fucking movie. I fucking love that movie, dude. All right, let's spin the wheel. Let's talk about the new Tubi movie that we're going to have this week. I had a suggestion from our buddy, Alan. He wanted to put runaway train on the wheel of Tubi. 10 films on the, on the wheel this week, nine of them rolling over one of them being added in. We're going to add one in each week. So of course, you know, um, hit us up through the links. Let us know about a Tubi movie that you want us to throw on the wheel. And maybe we'll throw it on the wheel next week to replace whatever we pull off this week. But the movies are Santa Sangre, Forbidden Planet, Ready to Rumble, Runaway Train, Time Cop, The Goon, We Are the Flesh, How to Plan an Orgy in a Small Town, The Sisters Brothers, and Death Sport. Uh, Runaway Train replacing Tale of Tales this week. Uh, and hoping that we get a result this week that leads to a more enjoyable watch experience for everybody. <laughs> um, and when, uh, as I said last week, we are, I'm going to get a physical wheel at this point. We're still on the digital wheel. We're going to get a physical wheel as soon as we can. And it's going to be great. We're going to spin it right here on the show. But uh, for now, let's spin the wheel of Tubi. Let's see what we're watching this week. Oh, hell yeah, baby. Hell yeah. We're watching Ready to Rumble this week on Tubi. 
famous pro wrestling movie. I guess it makes sense that we would be watching Ready to Rumble uh, after having watched uh, uh, The Iron Claw, of course. So now we're watching 2000, uh, 2000's Ready to Rumble uh, to, to see what, what we can glean from that. Uh, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm really stoked. I'm really excited to, to, uh, to get in and watch ready to rumble at some point this week. So many more movies to watch. Oh man. So much. to So I'm so very excited for where we're going to go this year for our progress so far. 19, almost 20 movies down. We're not that many days into the year. This is going to be a blast. And I'm so thankful for everyone that's been joining me. Uh, so far, I hope that you guys will stay with me. I hope that you guys will, uh, you know, throw this on every week and hear, uh, where we're going with all the movies and, uh, and we're going to keep, uh, keep plugging away, keep having a great time watching movies, uh, while we're here. So thank you so much. If you've been with me, thank you so much. If you're going to stay with me, if you want links to anything, Instagram, um, letterboxed, the email, all that stuff. It's in the description. Uh, reach out. Nothing I love more than making friends through podcasting. Um, but other than that, I'm going to get out of here. Thank you so much. I'll be back next week. Until then, sin every day.